Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Thank you, Chairwoman Waters, uh, Ranking Member McHenry, and, and members of the committee. Thank you for the opportunity to testify. That's Facebook Chief Executive Mark Zuckerberg. We've faced a lot of issues over the past few years, and I'm sure there are a lot of people who wish it were anyone but Facebook who were helping to propose this. With 2.7 billion users worldwide, the social network holds considerable power over the way many of us communicate and get information, which is why when it announced Project Libra, the development of a digital currency, everyone from politicians to chief executives and central bankers got pretty vocal about their discomfort with the idea of Facebook money. We must be concerned about our consumers and what this all means. And so we're. This is Behind the Money with the Financial Times. I'm Amy Keene. On this episode, FT reporters Hannah Murphy and Kieran Stacey join me. We're going to look at how the Libra project came together and why a regulatory backlash has already caused the project to stall. So the big announcement, which they actually cheekily made to via a presentation to journalists in in the Mint in San Francisco, where they mint uh, physical coins. They said that they were going to make a global digital currency that they hoped could be used to send payments across border at low cost in a very frictionless manner, so almost instantaneously. Facebook says this digital currency aims to make it as easy to send money around the world as it is to send a photo. They said that they had 28 uh, member companies on board, Facebook itself included. These range from payments groups like MasterCard, Visa and PayPal. To Uber and Lyft to nonprofits that focus on financial inclusion for the unbanked. And the idea was that these companies would all help to encourage users to use this use this coin by building and integrating its use some way into their platform. So how is this going to work? How would I use LibraCoin? Facebook said that it was going to create a subsidiary, which are called Calibra, um, which would be a digital wallet service. Uh, so you would be able to transfer money into this digital wallet and they would be converted into Libra and then you would be able to go and send these Libra to other people with the same digital wallet or buy things uh, from merchants using Libra. As part of this, Facebook wanted to build the Libra wallet into WhatsApp and Messenger. So whilst you're in WhatsApp, you would open up, I want to send, send money and your Libra wallet would be there readily available for you. And in addition to creating this subsidiary, this wallet, it's also setting up a separate entity, the Libra Association, which will be the body to actually govern the way this currency works. It's going to be based in Switzerland. 
But if we step back for a second, um, when we think about digital currency, cryptocurrency, the word Bitcoin usually comes to mind. But Bitcoin isn't pegged to any other asset. And Libra is going to be different. In fact, it's going to be backed by a basket of reserve currencies. At least that's what Facebook has said. Kieran, what do they mean by that? Yeah. So one of the differences between, say, Libra coin and Bitcoin is that Libra coin is designed to be a stable coin, um, which means that the Libra Association will actually keep a basket of currencies, various different currencies from around the world, and use that to stabilize the currency. So if there are huge fluctuations, um, there are actually assets behind it that they can buy or sell in the market. So they can buy back, essentially, they can go and buy back a load of Libra coin to make sure that it stays within a certain range. And it's almost a little bit like currencies that used to be pegged to the gold standard. In the old days, your currency was worth the amount of gold you had in your vaults. That's a little bit what Facebook is trying to do here. They're saying this coin uh, is doesn't just have the value that you, its users decide it has. It also has the value that's attached to this physical bunch of currencies that we have sitting in our vaults. And we're ready to use if we need to buy or sell in the market to restore uh, or keep down even the price of Libra coin. Into this conversation right now, the man behind all of this, David Marcus, is joining us, head of Facebook's Calibra, uh, joins us from the heart of Silicon Valley this morning. And, and so, uh, at least as of right now, apart from Facebook chief executive Mark Zuckerberg, the person most closely associated with this project is a man by the name of David Marcus. He's the co-founder of Libra. Can you tell me more about him? I was actually at a dinner last week with uh, David Marcus, the co-creator of Libra and a couple of other reporters. And someone posed the question, how did this idea come about? And he said, I'm afraid I'm guilty. So he actually was the person who came up with the initial idea and took it to Mark Zuckerberg. And and this is really designed from the ground up to be a great medium of exchange, a very high quality form of digital money that you can use for everyday payments and cross-border payments, microtransactions and all kinds of different things. Uh, Having... uh, worked at PayPal before. He very much identifies, uh, despite working for what is a very large company, as an entrepreneur. Um, So he took this entrepreneurial idea to Mark, who gave the go-ahead at that point. And so it's been very much a personal project by him. He has steered it as something that can help uh, small businesses, which he says he's very passionate about, and also something that will help financial inclusion uh, around the world uh, where people are the so-called unbanked, so don't have access to a bank account. Kieran, you know, anything that's calling itself a cryptocurrency, anything that looks to sort of subvert the traditional monetary system is going to grab the attention of politicians, of, of central bankers. But the reaction to Libra seemed intense and immediate. Yeah, that's right. Well, actually, there aren't really any regulations governing the use of cryptocurrencies. So Bitcoin, for example, uh, is traded fairly freely without the Fed or the Treasury or other parts of the US government looking at what people are doing there. I think what really made this 
different in the eyes of regulators and politicians here in Washington was the potential scale. Uh, They realized that this could very quickly ramp up to a scale that was nothing like any of the digital currencies we see today, but much more like an actual physical currency. And if it did that, it would start to challenge the dollar, which has all sorts of implications for US monetary policy, for sanctions policy. The US actually uses the dollar to get what it wants around the world all the time. So certainly the Federal Reserve was very worried about that. We would think that, that, that Libra would need to be held to the highest standards. It could be systemically important right away. There was also some concerns that people would use this kind of anonymized network to launder money, so criminals would use it to clean up the money, their proceeds from crime. The Treasury Department has expressed very serious concerns that Libra could be misused by money launderers and terrorist financiers. Uh, We are skeptical when we hear of a a Facebook running uh, what we think, and, and I think I speak for senators in both parties and for most of my constituents in Ohio, they're running a risky crypto, cryptocurrency operation out of a Swiss bank account. I've asked for a moratorium uh, because we all have to get up to speed on what is happening with this new cryptocurrency that it's being introduced. But actually, a lot of this ended up getting filtered through a mistrust of Facebook. So. When you want to launch a financial service, the one thing you need is trust of regulators. And that is the one thing that Facebook has very little of in Washington. And we saw in the first set of hearings that David Marcus, the co-creator, attended here in front of Congress. So I believe we're here today because Facebook, which is a publishing platform, an advertising network, a personal telecommunications network, a surveillance corporation, a content distributor, now also wants to establish a currency. This theme kept coming up. Why should we trust you? You've abused our trust on multiple occasions before. You've used customers' data in ways that you said you wouldn't. We obviously had the Cambridge Analytica scandal. We had accusations of peddling fake news. And there are accusations now that Facebook is allowing false advertising on its platform. In many ways, it has lost the trust of politicians in Washington. And that's what it's starting to see the consequences of now. Why should these activities be consolidated under one corporation? What do David Marcus and, in some cases, Mark Zuckerberg, what do they, what do they say? Congresswoman, uh, the, the one thing that we are focused on, really, is solving problems for the very people who are left behind right now. And we believe it's important because we have the ability to invest and we have the products to deliver those services that will solve problems the same way we've reduced costs for people to communicate on our messaging apps. I see. When they first launched, they said, look, we're launching this at a very early stage. We haven't really thought through all of the details and we're willing to talk to you about how it could be regulated. But actually that has backfired pretty spectacularly. What you've seen is a lot of regulators saying, well, give us the details. How are we supposed to know what to do with this unless you tell us exactly how it's going to work and what kind of regulation you think you need? To the extent that they don't even know what kind of business it is. Is it a bank? Is it going to be a bank? Is it going to be just a payment system? Is it going to be treated like an investment? Facebook has an answer to that. It's says it's a payment system, but because there's no details on how it works, the regulators are kind of scratching their heads and are therefore left to fill in the details. So while Mark Zuckerberg and David Marcus are out there talking about it and trying to answer questions, a lot of their answers are simply, we don't know yet, we're trying to figure this out. And I think that is 
proving a real source of frustration for the people who want to work out if this is going to go ahead, how should we exactly look at it? This is a major blow to Facebook's Libra efforts. PayPal is backing out of the Cryptocurrency Association. When did the shine start to come off this project for some of these uh, partner companies? It all started when it came out in public what the deadline was for these members who initially, when Facebook announced the project, they had signed a non-binding commitment to be part of this and to put about $10 million at least into the coffers. But at that stage, this was non-binding. Now, they were asked by mid-October, which is the first board meeting, to sign a, a contract that said, we definitely still want to be part of this. And that deadline came out in the press. And suddenly at this point, a lot of politicians became very vocal. And we had two Democratic senators actually writing letters to the payments groups, warning them uh, to rethink their participation in the project. Um, and there was a lot of news. And news also became to seep out that some of the members were a little bit shaky on whether they should do this, given that some of the regulators had literally said, we will increase our regulatory scrutiny, not just of this, but of you and your businesses. So everybody began to get a little bit nervous. And then when PayPal decided to pull back, when they first left, there was then a sort of domino effect. Uh, all the other payments groups uh, went to so Stripe, Visa, MasterCard the following week, um, eBay, uh, Mercado, Pago, and uh, Booking.com. From what I heard um, from sources at the company, there were discussions between some of those payments groups where they'd acknowledged the issues and that there was a sort of a consensus that they were all going to jump around the same time. Now, at the moment, these companies have only agreed to, to spend around $10 million on this project. So in a way, I think what they were doing was trying to keep tabs on what Facebook was doing for a relatively small investment. When it turned out that the entire, their entire involvement in the process might threaten their existing businesses, that became a much bigger risk for them. And so they were never going to tolerate that. As this pressure was building, there was also another event, and that was that uh, Mark Zuckerberg got called to Capitol Hill to testify, not just on Libra, uh, but on a host of issues that lawmakers have with Facebook. Libra was obviously top of the list. But this moment of Mark Zuckerberg on Capitol Hill kind of gets at what sounds like one of the key issues with the project actually getting off the ground. Facebook is still bankrolling the project, even though they see that's not meant to be the sort of long-term plan. But I guess my question is, can Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, by extension, can they really be separated from Libra? Facebook is in a really difficult position right now. Mark Zuckerberg had to accept the uh, request by the House Financial Services Committee to testify in front of them. This hearing is entitled An Examination of Facebook and Its Impact on the Financial Services and Housing Sectors. Because if he had not done so, uh, it would have turned into even more of a story and he would have uh, invited even more uh, political um, uh, anger onto his head. But... The problem is that the more that he, or even David Marcos testifies, the more that they become the spokesperson for this project. And that's exactly what the partners don't want. So I was talking to um, a senior executive at one of the partners, and 
They said that they think they have an eight to 12 week window now where Facebook just has to take the lead. Before there is a managing director in place, it will be Mark Zuckerberg or David Marcus who is the public face of this. The partners are now saying, if we can survive this eight to 12 week period, the project can go ahead. But we are worried that what happens in this next couple to three months um, is that the project becomes so associated with Facebook, it really doesn't survive a political chance. So where does the project then go from here? What happens next? Yeah, the, the big thing that Facebook has done, I think, with this project is it said from the outset that it wouldn't launch anywhere in the world unless it got the approval of regulators in the US and in Europe. And that is actually a really high hurdle because one of the things they could have done would be simply to launch in another part of the world to test it out a little bit and to use that test to persuade regulators that, hey, this system can work and then maybe build it out organically. They could also, maybe a a more sensible way to do this would have been simply to start doing it just on the Facebook platform in a relatively small controlled way and then let it build organically until the point it reached the scale they wanted without necessarily having triggered any uh, traps along the way. As it is, they came out with this big announcement, they got on everybody's radars, they set alarm bells ringing, and I think it is going to be very, very difficult for them to clear that high bar they've set themselves to get approval before they launch anything. I would sort of counter Kieran a little bit and just say that they've lost a lot of regulated members, and but they're left with um, members who are truly committed, many of whom are digital currency firms or work in the blockchain space and this is their livelihood and they're very committed to this and Facebook has also said that they are they are willing to work with regulators and work to to what they want so that I think it's perhaps more adjustable than it might already seem. That said I think that some existing members are more shaky than others. So you've got sort of committed crypto firms. You've also got the Lyfts and the Spotify's and the Ubers who perhaps this is an interesting opportunity for them uh, and they're excited about it. But at this stage, they just want to seat at the table. They don't want to be too involved. They want to pay the $10 million and just see how it goes. And if it doesn't work out, if the pressure gets a little higher and ramps up, they'll just pull back. So there's a sort of split, a a bit of a two-speed membership within that group. One of the possible outcomes with this is it simply rumbles on without ever achieving a launch date. It's an idea that fizzles out rather than dying spectacularly. So it was initially the plan that Facebook wanted to launch this by the end of 2020. Now they're saying, uh, and... Um, one of their executives, Dante Disparti, said this to me in an interview last week. Uh, they're saying that while they'll have all the technology ready by the end of 2020, they're not sure they can secure all the necessary regulatory approvals. So what they could end up doing is simply saying, well, the technology is there and we'll continue to work through all the issues that various politicians and regulators have. That could essentially become almost a never-ending process. They could just put it on ice until one day maybe Facebook is less toxic and maybe people feel like they're able to approve this after all. You can read the latest on Project Libra at FT.com. Thanks to Hannah and Kieran, and thanks to you for listening. We'll be back with a new episode in a couple of weeks.
Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Did you know the Capital Ideas podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin? Through the words and experiences of investment professionals, you'll discover who was their best mentor, what's a mistake they made that changed their approach, and how do they find their next great idea? Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.